Hello everyone, we are back in the Filt studios on Kungsholmen together with Bella Rimne. Hello Bella. Hello David. You have wonderful lipstick on today, can I say Thank that? Thank you. <laughs> this is, this is, a, this is read, radio. But, but Read my lips. Yes, yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. now we can see. <laughs> and and uh, Dr. Jones, how are you? Very good. Wonderful, oh. wonderful to see you all. What are you going to say about me? Gorgeous, gorgeous, okay, lovely. Let's, okay, as let's move on. Love your headphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three people, three topics. One of the things which I, I I know that none of you have been so far to the Venice Biennale mm. this year, mm. and uh, and that's worth a trip, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it goes on for for several months, and I assume you have read some about the ups and the downs of of the Biennale. But I, what I wanted to discuss with you is this aspect of the national pavilions. Mm. And uh, this has been something which has been discussed for for a very long time. Uh, And it comes from um, the kind of historical uh, when the Biennale started. And for our listeners, I mean, it started in the 19th century. So nowadays we have Biennales all over the world. Uh, But the Venice Biennale every second year Uh, is still a a main event. And uh, the fact that that there are some of the established nations are in this area, which is called Giardini, which is the park. And and then there are the rest of the world has to either invent themselves every every second year by renting other spaces or take a long-term lease. And as you know, today, this year, France and Germany switched place with each other. The Danish pavilion some years ago had artists from all over mm-hmm. the world. They had a curator for someone else. Some thoughts about this kind of push by, by having national pavilions when we are also many times talking about artists not where they are born, but more where they are working. I mean, we have this whole movement where, where actually nationality is is not such a key issue. Well, uh, Sarah Z, who mm-hmm. represented the United States this year, was a former student of mine at Yale, so I think it's a perfect system. <laughs> no, I think the national... Actually, the, the U.S. pavilion usually is not very successful, even though they show a lot of very great artist. A couple of years ago, it was Anne Hamilton and I think uh, Bruce Nauman. But this year, being a reviewer right now, I have to say that Saratse was striking. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely wonderful. But uh, but that's that's kind of a simple, uh, it's, it's an impressive exhibition, but it's a kind of a simple solution. One person, yeah. one country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many tries to twist it and, and to turn it. And, yeah, and like, like you said, like the Danish, I think last Biennale, when the Danish, I think there was last one, where they had like just a curated show with different uh, artists by a different curator. And I think also that Fia Backstrom's work in the Scandinavian Pavilion last time also commented on the different uh, nationalities by having artwork around the, the Giardini. But it's almost like, I mean, uh, it kind of links to sport, doesn't it? <laughs> it becomes like this competition and I know that when the Olympics uh, in the last century, early last century, art was part of the Olympics, the Olympic Games. <laughs> As a, uh, and there is, I mean, there is a kind of, maybe there's a the leftover of this comp- competition thing, but now it gets almost nostalgic because it feels to me like maybe 
now that art is very internationalized and artists are kind of flying around the world being, I don't know, just uh, in orbit maybe, then this almost become nostalgic, this park with this almost Disneyland-esque mm-hmm. <laughs> possibility to grasp the world. I don't think we can anymore, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think it is nostalgia mm. because if the art world is anything these days, it's border- borderless. It, it certainly seems like that. And um, not only are artists moving around, exhibitions are moving around, and um, it's hard to – I think, you know, just within one lifetime, it went from being very nationalistic, uh, as Bella was saying, into uh, something that is – I would I would call it a blended art world now. Um, and I don't know how – I don't know what – we gain by maintaining the national pavilions in such an international climate. Mm. But isn't it more about the space, perhaps, and the nostalgia of that little park? Mm. I mean, yeah. something, if, if, like, <clears throat> something like a little piece of something still in a very um, rapidly growing world where China, da, 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 everything is kind of mushrooming up and... I mean, Venice in itself is so nostalgic, so maybe this yeah, is the, yeah. like a, a box in a box of nostalgia. Yeah. But everything outside of that park is a better representation of yeah. the art world now, mm. um, the world now, mm. than mm. than the, the park itself. I, it's, it's fascinating because I had a, a longer conversation with uh, Alfredo Jar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, Ron and I know Alfredo, actually, at one time in 1988, Ron was at an exhibition at Magazine 3 together with Alfredo. Mm-hmm. And this year he represented uh, Chile. And, uh, and he made a, a, a work which was um, fascinating in, in many aspects. It, it, it was actually a big basin, like a, a gigantic basin uh, filled with dark brownish water and uh, if you were standing there and and viewing the work uh, you just saw this kind of abstraction uh, a basin with water maybe it was 15 by 15 meter and then all of a sudden every third minute uh, the island the giardini rose from the water <laughs> hydra- oh. hydraulically <laughs> and the water kind of ran off giardini And then it was up for 30 seconds, and then it sank again. And many people that walked by, uh, first of all, it was Alfredo's uh, kind of playing with the viewer, uh, saying that if you don't slow down, if you don't give yourself time, and you walk into the room, you will will just see this this abstract painting looking down at the surface of brownish water. Uh, At the same time, I think... uh, the interval would be that the island during the whole Biennale would be shown for 24,000 times, 24,300 <laughs> something times. And it was actually also a very personal comment because he was the first person invited from Latin America in 1986 to then the Aperto. And the Aperto was kind of the pre Arsenale, it was kind of the open. And 86, we all remember 86, and it doesn't seem to be such a long time ago, but that was the first artist from Latin America. And then in 87, he was invited to the Documenta. And now, if you look not only at the Biennale, but if you look all over the world, 
this whole issue of nationality, where you live, uh, and, and all of that is just so taken out of yeah. out of out of Completely. place. Yeah. I also think one very interesting thing which I've never thought about before is that in the Giardini, the kind of superpowers, you have to exclude the United States at the time, <laughs> but the super kind of culture and superpowers, which is England, France and Germany, they are on a height. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. So you have to kind of walk up a little hill yeah. and the rest are looking down on us. And mm-hmm. then I did a little bit research and realized that that to build a pavilion in there, even the ones that are have been there for a number of years but are kind of 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 fairly new additions have to be built with the most trickiest circumstances. For example, the Australian pavilion is is standing on wheels. So they don't consider it a permanent pavilion. Uh-huh. It can actually be moved a couple a couple of <laughs> centimeters to the left and to the right. And the Korean pavilion, I think, is on on the blueprint of the Giardini, is classified as as a toilet, <laughs> and this is just to kind to, of to get around to get rules. around uh, uh-huh. the building rules. I'll toss this out because this is something that I I think we might have even visited this subject earlier in another show. But um, granted, wh- wh- one of the paradoxes in my mind is granted the art world is uh, an international thing place. And yet there's still a center, in my view. And in history is suggest in New York is the center. And uh, we probably remember when Cologne was going to be the center and then Frankfurt was going to be the center. But New York still holds on to that position. Um, or as Robert Pincus Witten said one time, no matter where you're from, ultimately you're going to have to go to New York to test your metal. I, I guess that's becoming less and less true. Mm-hmm. Um, and New York is one of the most provincial, having lived there for quite a while, uh, one of the most provincial cities I've ever lived in. And yet it's it still attracts people to come and, as Robert said, test their mettle. And, and there's a paradox there, it, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it's the nostalgia again. Yeah, yeah. Or the, the need for history. Yeah. And maybe also the need of place. Yeah. I mean, this is also something with the orbit, art world, the internet, the, the need for matter and the need for place, the need for geography yeah. <laughs> seems to kind of pop up and become more important. Mm-hmm. Topic number two, the issue of outsider art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have to, mm. again, relate to this year's Venice Biennale, which had a kind of... The, the outline for the Biennale had to do with the encyclopedia, basically research in approaching the visual arts through encyclopedic method. And in this aspect of, of, of finding a lot of art, which we didn't really know about, and I'm, I'm talking about the, the curated exhibitions at the, at the International Pavilion and the Arsenale, Nevertheless, when you when you approached that kind of encyclopedia, you came to outsider art. I'm I'm fascinated that that when the art world, the curators, all the people that we are also involved with, when we want to be explore, we we kind of go to to the outside art. I mean that becomes something Mm-hmm. something pure mm-hmm. it is a total anti-statement 
if you compare it with a with a Jeff Koons or something mm-hmm. like that, has nothing to do with production. It has many times not even to do with the intellectual application. It has to do with with the primitive craft and with the passion and with the eye and everything like that. And and by its nature, uh, we are also asking the viewer to kind of almost become kind of romantic mm. and say, this is art. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Definitely. There's like the two aspects in a way. One is to, of course, by having outsider, you reinforce insider and it becomes stronger and maybe appear, appears more intelligent or sharp and intellectual and political. And of course, the other thing is to want to reinvent some kind of like you've seen it for the first time or this kind of emotion around art that perhaps people that are active like we in the art world sometimes feel that, yeah, it's more, you can't, it's not like you're a baby just looking at something for the first time. I was I was talking to a woman that's born in the 30s and she was talking about art in a way that was very complicated for me. I realized that I can't have this, oh, I see this red color, it hits me in the head and I, I just get these different references. And of course, this is the system that we live in. And perhaps it's a longing for, again, something nostalgic or a longing for something that, of course, never has been yep. <laughs> anywhere. But anyway, a longing. I, this is a, a topic that I've been struggling with ethically for some time. Uh, I wrote a review for Art Forum about the Princehorn Collection, which is mm. a collection of art of the mentally ill. It's mm-hmm. actually the way it's phrased. And, 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 and t- tell us, I mean, it goes back to the 20s, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, where mm-hmm. Princehorn, a doctor, a psychiatrist, would go around and, and pick pieces of, of work uh, from patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he formed the collection that way. But it, it, I don't want this to go on too long, but there is a photograph in that collection, not taken by a patient, but of what the patient did in her room. And her name is Maria Schreib. She was uh, taken to a mental institution as a young girl, and she lived her life out there. And every night she would take bandages and arrange them on the floor in kind of patterns, very complicated patterns, and then the staff would come and take them away. And uh, Printhorn took several photographs of this. And then the next night she would do it again. She repeated this over and over again. And it is romantic, and, it, and it is, especially in a sepia-tone photograph, they mm-hmm. look, you know... Stunning. Boy, they, yeah, stunning. Mm-hmm. And they also uh, bring authenticity into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are authentic... Uh, expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, they look a whole lot like uh, some early uh, Mike Kelly works. So that they lend authenticity to. But at the end of the day, she wasn't an artist. She wasn't making them for an audience. She was making them for the, herself. There was never a chance that they would ever be exhibited. And and so I just want to call the question that what we're witnessing with Maria is an expression of her illness, not art at all. But we're turning it into art for our own mm. purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's where the ethical and moral mm. dilemma mm-hmm. that I still mm-hmm. am unable to resolve uh, mm-hmm. comes into play. And you can, you can, folklorists or folk artists, that's another thing. But if a patient is institutionalized, then is it really art if they don't think of themselves as an artist and it is an expression of? Uh, in this case, her mania, that's how it was described, mm-hmm. um, then it, it sits in limbo. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I, I hear what you say, but what I find fascinating in terms of, 
of contemporary thinking, and, and then in particular the, the, the Venice Biennale, mm. is that, that when, when we as curators, when we want to go to exhibit something mm. that is kind of new and of authenticity, we find all the outsider art and we can and we can be really uh, and we can really be taken by it i mm-hmm. mean you were talking about prince horn and and georg baselitz the, the kind of great mm-hmm. german yeah. painter he's he's he started with this prince horn i mean he yep. he viewed mm-hmm. these these uh, um, this collection and it was a book i think published yep. in 1921 yep. and we have actually two of 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 our most educated artists, Carl Fredrik Hill and yeah. Ernst Josefsson, which are yeah. part of this. So you can also say mm-hmm. that you have certain mm-hmm. art yeah. which is when, when artists are, are in distress and when yeah. they are, have been in institution. And we have this... Yeah. Like Kusama si- and yeah, totally. so many, many. <laughs> so yeah. many, many, many. Yeah. That I think is amazing. Is, is, that a, is that a reaction towards all this kind of... Uh, staged art as we see very mm-hmm. much now mm-hmm. which is both we can find it in in performance art yeah. you know my god we we mm-hmm. someone won the Turner prize a couple of years ago it was what an empty room with yep. no no sound or anything and if we go into one of the artists that is now having a a tour in in a number of institutions but it started here in in Sweden Hilmar Klint yep. mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which I don't think we have discussed in in this program previously. Uh, clearly, an artist that was educated as an artist uh, found a, a path in her life, and by the end of her life, decided that nothing would be seen of mm-hmm. her production be- until twenty years after her death. Mm-hmm. And I think the vast. Uh, groupings of work that we see now is is more way over twenty years. It's what is yeah. it eighty yeah. years after yeah. her death, but there is this kind of dimension in her work too, which approaches the kind of outside art too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think uh, it's. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about performance art or visual art or uh, even theater in in certain respects. I see all of this, the uh, interest or fascination or absorption um, with outsider art Mm -hmm. or theater or whatever it is, is our own desire to experience something that is authentic. And I think somebody like Hill or even Mike uh, Kelly Mm -hmm. uh, was very interested in that kind of work uh, because it was authentic and and Mm -hmm. even uncanny, if you want. I mean, Mike collected... Mm -hmm paintings by serial killers mm. yeah. um, because it, it was both uncanny but it was yeah, also authentic. It's also like a forensic evidence of decision making. Yeah. I think that this is another aspect of uh, why art that is made by a brain that we perhaps think is wired in a different way becomes also interesting because it's almost like you could follow or you could get some kind of insight into something that's wired different and mm-hmm. maybe in in the need of of the, these times and where we think that everything is wired by perhaps finance and money mm-hmm. it's also interesting with other um ideals and drives like what drove Hilmar Klint to work so so hard and so alone for so long time without an audience also it's yeah. just uh, it's, it gives us keys to some other possibility yep i re- i remember i'll just toss this in um 
because it 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 gets to the point that you're making um I don't even remember when this was, but in the 90s when the art market was on fire like it is today, Meyer Weissman and I organized an exhibition called Artists to Watch. Collectors poured in because they thought it was younger <laughs> artists who were emerging that Meyer and I had found. Clever. But, but it was uh, all art from prisoners <laughs> who were still uh, in prison. And um, the collectors were, let's say, Disappointed. Mm-hmm. But, and in this exhibition in in the Venice Biennale, of course, uh, there are even uh, prison art. Yeah, you know, yeah. you have this with the handkerchiefs, which yeah. I yeah. really didn't know about. Uh, yeah. When when uh, when elaborate paintings on prison handkerchiefs, and they are kind of traded uh, for for favors or for merchandise, mm-hmm. depending on how how much labor that has gone uh-huh. into them. Uh-huh. Uh, interesting. And it's like, a t- it's like a tattoo on, yeah. on a handkerchief. And, and, and there was a, a, a body of, of these works. I think it's, it's very interesting to discuss this. I think mm-hmm. we, are, we are not completely there, why, why this is so interesting. No. And, and mm-hmm. I think, what Bella, what you talked about, the fact that, that a lot of artists immediately take to the outsider art. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's really uh, if it's really good, and I'm thinking about one of the artists that we showed a number of years ago, Henry Darger, yeah, yeah. that that was truly an outsider mm. artist. Yeah. His his story is, is absolutely amazing. But if I talk with my friends here in the Stockholm art community, I think so many were were kind of influenced, mm. not particularly by the show, but maybe by, if surely by 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 Henry Darger and his and his yeah. way of. of of, of creating all these the, these these kind of worlds, yeah. I, I still think it's it's be, between all these manufactured artists, if mm. I have to say, the ones that have um, kind of massive studios with a lot of assistance, and it's kind of a it's kind of expected to see something. I think it's interesting that 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 the art world is also mm-hmm. embracing this. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, when we were talking about this, I realized also that one of the ones that got a, a fabulous prize this year was Tino, Tino Segal. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and Tino is really outside art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because you were talking about this with performance and everything, and then I realized Tino Segal is, is it's outside but art. But how do you think it's outside art? Well, because I think it it is created. I mean, I'm not saying that <laughs> is an outside artist, but it's really is created in the very. It's not. It's not the regular label of outside art. Mm. It doesn't come from Art Brunson. But if you look at it from the performance, from the theater, from mm. the uh, abstract, from the minimalist, it really is at the very. Mm. At the very end, and being yeah. at the very end, or the very center, <laughs> I would say, because center. it's like the, at the or the very point of it. Right? But it's, well, it's, it's outside the system. He operates surely. completely outside. I mean, he had a show at the Guggenheim Museum. That's pretty much inside. But I'm saying the way he conducts himself as an artist yeah. within mm-hmm. the art world, mm-hmm. and the way. But that's also like you could follow his decisions. His decisions not to have uh, documentation. His decisions, mm. and that's also yeah. what is fascinating with his work. And of course, it's like a mirroring work, like like his work in Documenta mm. this year when it was the dark room. It mirrored also all this visual yeah. overload. Mm. There's there's one other kind of artist that's, mm-hmm. the, and I'm I actually bought a couple of his drawings. Uh, this is years ago. I don't even remember his name. So I'm embarrassed to say, but he was you know mad as a hatter, 
and his drawings were these weird watercolors of pyramids and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which he only made when he was abducted by aliens. Mm. And then he and the aliens made the painting together. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. uh, he wasn't putting this up for yeah. like a, a joke or a show. He was truly uh, possessed with this mm. idea that he had been abducted several times. Mm. And so it was alien human art. And mm-hmm. you don't see that so often. No. <laughs> well, somewhere else there might be <laughs> a lot of it. Oh, yeah. Where his yeah. alien friends yeah, exactly. they have, a, they have, a they have massive collections. Of museum. <laughs> you see them yeah. up in the right. sky. And then we are the outsiders, all of yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the last uh, and third uh, question is is more a kind of a reflection. We have, I think, this is the eighth uh, program we have done since since December. In the calendar, it's soon midsummer here in Stockholm, and we will take a little break for uh, a month, six weeks, and then we will all get together in August. But I just wanted to hear whether you had any reflection on on, on some of the topics that we had discussed over the over the last six months, and and uh, any thoughts, Bella? There seems to, it's like we touch upon in a circular movement around something that we're trying to perhaps talk about art and we know that it's so difficult. So we talk about the market, we talk about the kind of authenticity and all these other things. So perhaps this is my reflection that I see um, art kind of as being the thing that we are going around but perhaps never been able to really touch upon in Mm. a way. I, I I would say that what Bell was talking about is an area that has been fascinating for me for years, and that is what is unsayable. Now, this, that we can't... I, I used to think uh, many years ago that I could nail it uh, in mm-hmm. terms of what art was, but increasingly I'm pretty convinced that it is ultimately unsayable, like the sublime or mm-hmm. uh, terror. But there's, for me, the one thread that run through all of the programs uh, starting uh, with the very first one is the issue of censorship and how uh, the art world... Uh, handles that, and I think there are a lot of we brought up from Chris uh, Burden and, and a number of examples uh, of art that pushes at the border borders of of what's acceptable, and those happen to coincide. And then I'll I'll conclude. Those happen to coincide with constructing authenticity. I mean, I think Chris's shoot piece, his mm. infamous shoot piece. It's a lot of things, but it certainly is authentic, we would say. Mm. And then the paradox to that is if you can create, if you can create authenticity, then is it really authentic? I mean, can you design authenticity? Mm. Um, can you mm. paint authenticity? Mm. Um, and then it calls into question what is really authentic and, mm. and not. Mm. Mm. I, I think it's interesting what you talked about, Bella, because I have also this feeling, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with, with the, the issue of art, like... I'm not sure if I said this before, but Lena Dunham, uh, the creator of this program, Girls, mm-hmm. uh, she has some, her parents are, are kind of well-known uh, artists uh, in in the New York art scene. And uh, her, her father is Carol Dunham and her mother is Laurie Simmons. And in an interview, she was asked, you know, you must have, nevertheless, you come from a kind of, important family and you that means that you got a lot of help and then she looked straight into the camera and then she laughed and said but please my parents comes from this little incibency ridiculous inflated art world 
They have no understanding <laughs> and they have no power what it means with the media. And somehow mm. with, this, with this program and with, with the continuation in this fall, I kind of want to, to follow her, her mm. statement and, and saying it is when it's at its best, it's about knowledge. Mm. And, and otherwise, it's about basically maneuvering in this, mm. in this somehow sometimes inflated, mm. uh, totally ridiculous, totally constructed mm. world. I'm thinking of Lena Dunham, a quote from Girls that I love, when she says to her parents, she's a struggling kind of writer, and she said to her, says to her parents, Mom and Dad, maybe I'm the voice of my generation, or maybe I'm a voice of a generation. <laughs> and I think that this is <laughs> so stunning. That actually, actually, that's a very good ending here, yeah. because maybe uh, Bella, Ron and I, we are a voice of, <laughs> of a, a generation. generation. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll, we'll see you in, you. in uh, mid-August. Good.